today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome to Twig199. The inmates are running the asylum now that Mishka and Adam, the reasonable people, are gone. So it's Laura, myself, and Eric Seifert. Um, we have a few articles to talk about today. First, uh, Tencent is increasing its investment in Ubisoft. Um, how Apple can build a $30 billion advertising business. And the last one, I believe, is that we are looking at the big layoffs at Snap and some other layoffs that are going on in the industry. So how is everyone doing? Laura, Eric? I'm back in London. I'm here. I, that's nice. my usual, my travels. I'm, I'm here for a couple of weeks, going to Seattle for a week, and then I'll be back in London before going back to Seattle. I'm all over. I'm uh, Eric. I'm, uh, I'm in an annoyed mood today. I was supposed to go to New York today to, to, to attend a dinner. And I woke up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, get in the Uber, which I had pre-ordered. First of all, my neighbor, coincidentally, my neighbor was also going to the airport very early. He took my pre-ordered Uber, just assuming it was his. And so I see that the Uber's on the ride, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and so I call the dude, and he's like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm your ride. What are you doing? Anyway, he came back, and I ended up sharing the Uber with my neighbor. We get to the airport, and the airport's power had shut down, or something. Oh. so they had lost, the airport. The entire airport had lost power, so they had shut down the exit off the highway. We couldn't even get into the onto the property, 
And so I uh, had their Uber turn around and take us back home, and I had to cancel my trip. And uh, so I woke up at 4.30 in the morning for nothing. So not, not, a, not an auspicious start to the day. Oh, that's, that's terrible. So I'm, go- I'm sure they're missing you now for the dinner today. Um, anyway, I, I had some updates about my daughter, a story about my daughter, but I think it looks like we have way too much to cover. But the one question I did get at uh, GamesCon is why don't I talk about my daughter all that much? And uh, <laughs> for, for lack of a better reason, she is almost perfect. This girl, she is amazing, and I know it's really gross to talk about your kids that way, but she is a perfect person, except by all <laughs> objective measures and, and all objective observable measures, she hates me, okay? Oh, <laughs> I, know, I know part of it's because she's 15 and she'll grow out of it, but, but clearly, like, she's, uh, she's going through a phase right now, and it's very, it, it breaks my heart every day. Um, so, uh, I won't talk about this story, but she ended up breaking her foot. Uh, but all is good, and, and she is wonderful. All right, moving on. Okay. Let's see. I have totally forgotten what I was going to say now. Oh, gotcha. All right. The one, oh, the first update is the, there was a the report by InMobi, which basically suggests that the Apple privacy measures um, basically are boosting its own Apple search ads business. This was according to VentureBeat. Basically, the... <laughs> The report provides a snapshot on the advertiser behavior, basically showing the boost in advertising spend on Apple's platforms after AT&T was, uh, was initiated. Uh, quoting basically that their share of wallet went up like five points, reaching like 15%, while Meta lost about 4%. Snap lost 50%. Jesus Christ. And TikTok rose about 3% during the same time as the same analysis. Now, clearly this is a shot against the bow of... Uh, Apple from, you know, this post-IDFA and Alliance, which includes uh, Liftoff, Fiber, Chartboost, Inmobi, Bungle, and Singular. Um, so it was an interesting report, basically just trying to outline the challenges. And then at the same time, we saw this big report from the Financial Times that Apple is planning on doubling the amount of people that are working on digital advertising, uh, you know, so with, with according to like LinkedIn stuff. Now they claim that that's not the case, but whatever. So they have about 250 people working on the ad platform, according to LinkedIn. They plan on raising about double that over the next uh, 12 months. Um, Now, again, Apple is disputing this, but whatever. (laughs) So anyway, Financial Times is basically making the speculation that if they continue to gain share in this method, they'll be going from 5 billion in 2022 to 30 billion in 2026, which basically is death to all other advertising companies besides Google. So <laughs> it looks like it's going to be Google and Apple are going to be the uh, ad networks of choice for the next decade, um, according to this report. Uh, any thoughts there, Mr. Eric? Um, yeah, I mean, I forgot about the post-IDFA alliance. They had that uh, no IDFA, no problem campaign. Remember that? <laughs> that, 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 uh, that aged well. <laughs> Yeah, their tune is changing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny you don't hear about that anymore. Uh, now it's all now it's no, all exactly. now it's all doom and gloom. Um, yeah, I mean, so the the Financial Times thing. So I I had called out all the open positions like six weeks ago. Uh, so I, you know, the Financial Times did not scoop that, um, which they claimed. Uh, but yeah, I don't. So there's a question here, and we can get to it a little bit later in my piece because it's on the same topic. But does Apple? Is it the question is how much of this is zero sum? 
right? And how much of this expands the market? And the question is, if it's zero sum, then yeah, Apple just hoovers up market share. But if they can actually expand the market, um, then maybe it's like a rising tide situation. Uh, I think I, I think there's a case to be made that they can expand the market. And I started talking about that in the piece that I published today, but it got too long, so I cut it. And maybe I'll 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 save that for a later date. But I I think. If it's totally zero sum, then yes, then then they're just gonna and 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 the the, the problem the part of the problem is with the type of ad that Apple Search ads is it's search right that is a totally zero sum ad format yeah. right that is we are just going to skim organic discovery and charge you for it right that's just pure I mean I don't want to call it rent seeking but it's definitely like zero sum strategy right now the question is can they can they build something that actually expands the market and like just gives developers more opportunity to deploy money instead of just uh replacing or displacing other opportunities just to deploy money if they could do that then everybody might win and i think there's a case to be made there but i mean yeah it it, it is uh you know they they and, and the only thing i would say is like you know whenever i read these types of articles and i'm not saying uh, not this isn't specific to AppSumer or in but anytime i read these kind of articles from like an ads company uh, I always am pretty skeptical about them. Like I, and not that's not to discredit what AppSumer is writing. I just I always kind of take it with a, a grain of salt. Not that they're trying to misrepresent the data, but they have a very specific skew of data, right? Because any ad networks have different specialties. They have different uh, concentrations of, of verticals and categories and stuff. My sense is that the AppSumer data reflects more like of a gaming, uh, you know, uh, segment, which is totally relevant for this podcast but in general like looking at that it's going to skew towards gaming it's that changes the asa mix a little bit because for non-gaming companies i see the asa mix being a little bit lower but yeah i mean asa of course yes asa took market share yes there's, there's no question yeah um and i mean yeah and in it, 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 in their defense though i mean clearly they were trying to play nice with apple with this like life after idfa you know compendium or whatever the fuck that was right but now the tune is changing because they realize how fucked they are, right? And so they have to like change their tune and start writing and doing this research and writing these articles to like bring up these issues, you know? And I guess the one-two punch of like something like, and I know your articles are well read in this space, but the Financial Times coming out with an article like this, which is showing clear evidence that, or how about this, clear speculation that Apple is uh, gaining share against their competitors after, you know, hobbling them at the knees um you know it's it's it, it it could be signs of things to come uh uh for apple if they have if they don't actually fix some of these issues that they're working on and maybe maybe the scad you know 4.0 will help alleviate some of these issues going forward who knows yeah. um but we'll I mean, know just, to, just, I just to clarify though so the the projections there were from evercore which is actually the dinner i was supposed to be attending tonight because uh, Evercore has their, their oh, yeah? conference starting today, but yeah, th- th- so there's ever there's an Evercore analyst that's been on top of this um, since like a year ago, and yeah, and you're right, the FT has done a lot of great reporting on this topic. They're, pro- they're probably like the, the 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 publication that's covered this the best. That that's like a broader publication and not like a niche thing, like like what I do. Yeah, and by the way, unrelated, I was watching the Apple event today. Uh, started at ten o'clock today, and Jesus Christ, they, they, the production value is absolutely insane. Yeah. But the products are just so uninspired. Yeah. There's like really nothing new with these things. There's, for the first time ever, I don't think I'm going to upgrade my phone. Yeah. I haven't upgraded my, iWatch, my watch forever. I think Garmin does a better job. 
I'm not bagging on Apple products. I mean, they're still amazing. And next year when they do US, USC, USB-C connection, I'll definitely upgrade. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Apple, Apple, Apple. All right, the next thing. Um, oh, ByteDance reported layoffs of hundreds of employees from its video game division, uh, which, and they basically removed staff from a development group in Shanghai and also Hangzhou. Oh, I just messed up the pronunciation. Anyway, they're getting rid of their development teams in China. Um, they say that they're going to maintain operations for the games that have already launched. But literally last year, at the end of last year, this was one of their six pillars of their business. And now they're com- almost completely divesting in it. Um, and uh, the one game that seems to be questionable right now is what, what's going to happen with the uh, Marvel. Um, what's, the, what's the game? Marvel Snap from mm. uh, the second dinner yeah. guys who are friends of the podcast. Right now, I understand that. They are just a, the publisher of record, but if they're losing their publishing capability, then what does that actually mean for the publishing of the game, which is still in beta? Um, not that they have any ownership or, or interest in or affiliation at all with uh, them, but how are they going to be able to execute against the publishing of the game when they're you know divesting all their assets and their people? You know, so anyway, it's interesting. But this follows a similar announcement from Snap, uh, who's also reducing their focus on gaming which I think Laura will talk yeah, about. Yeah, just briefly. Uh, so Snap is laying off about 1,300 people. It's restructuring around three strategic priorities, community growth, revenue growth, and augmented reality. And any projects that don't contribute to those pillars will be discontinued or receive substantially reduced investment. This includes putting its games and mini-apps into maintenance mode with this said reduced investment. You know, there's a lot of, um, there was a lot of interest from snap and from different types of companies tangential to gaming snap TikTok, netflix that are now in kind of layoff mode and reducing the focus on at least internal development for gaming and it seems to be a very quick pivot i was having a look back and the the last time we talked about TikTok games was i think twig 184 which wasn't that long ago and that was more focused on their us division but it was there was a lot of hope around these companies that were going to be getting in, into gaming um, from at least from their website, Snap still seems open to publishing. I couldn't quite glean um, whether or not they would still take games from external developers or not, um, but it seems that they are just not interested in maintaining any sort of be- developmental risk. Um, and I don't know. I still I still really like the Snap games. I thought they were. I thought the original ones were quite fun. So I'm sad to see. <laughs> I'm sad to see them disappear. Dude, how many times? Does HTML5 gaming need to die before it's dead for good? I am so tired of talking about HTML5 gaming. I swear, strategy. Again, these are the type of things that happen at EA. They happen at Kabam. They happen at Warner. Every every fucking few years, I have to actually have a discussion about this this technology, which is fucking stupid. Okay? It does not work. Okay? Anyway. There are parts that can still be fun, even if it's not... This is the same problem. There's too many people like me and like three other people like it, right? So I'm like, hey, this is great. And then not big enough. It doesn't make money. (laughs) Like at the end of the day, it's like impossible to make money. money. So like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go on a rant on this. Oh, the last update, sorry, before Eric goes on, is that I got a request from Javier, uh, Javier Barnes um, on cloud gaming. And I don't want to go on a deep rant about cloud gaming, but I would, I just... The fact of the matter is, when Javier Barnes asked me a question, I must respond because despite his pleasant nature, I am deathly afraid of this guy. He is freaking tough. He looks tough, right? 
So I have to answer these questions, right? But there have been a lot of, of, of articles about cloud gaming, particularly from Microsoft. There was also the announcement of LG and Samsung about adding functionality to its TVs. Um, and they're basically adding a Google Stadia type thing. And it looks like what I said all along is that Google is like white labeling the shit for, for, for televisions. And this is exactly what we thought was going to happen, frankly. Um, now, keep in mind, this is only on their flagship uh, TVs that cost $1,200 or more, right? And then you still need a Bluetooth controller. So it's not like <laughs> an easy entry, right? Um, and then there's also an announcement with Tencent and Xbox. Oh, sorry, Logitech and Tencent that are building some kind of portable device um, that's going to do streaming as well. It's going to work with Xbox uh, Live and, and, and NVIDIA, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just going to reiterate my previous view on cloud gaming, this from the very beginning of Stadia announcement, is that cloud gaming is the second dumbest idea in gaming, with the first, of course, is Apple Arcade, right? It is a product without a market. The Western markets dominate the console business, and the consumption of this content is optimized around consoles. And these people do not care about spending $400, $500 on a device that optimizes this experience. Um, and the main Customers of this content that continues to be built will not sacrifice quality for convenience. And again, there's a lot more to it, but that is the gist. The rest of the answers, I just placed it in the Slack so we can move on um, from this like beaten topic. Uh, but I hope that satisfies Mr. Javier. Don't hurt me. All right, moving on. Um, Mr. Seifert. Yeah, I, so I, I just kind of want to flag this article that I read that was interesting um, or that I enjoyed call from The Verge, which uh, is one of my favorite, I think one of my favorite tech publications, but probably my favorite. And the article was titled ticking time bomb, The Ticking Time Bomb of Modern Free-to-Play Games. And I saw that headline and I thought I was going to hate it. Uh, and I was, I was ready to, I was, I was mentally preparing, mentally uh, stealing myself for uh, the same arguments you've heard over and over and over again um, uh, about how free-to-play is like exploitative and uh, it, it preys on people's uh, 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 psychological uh, uh, you know, weaknesses. But actually, that's not what it was about at all. Um, it's about what happens to free-to-play games when the server shut down, right? So a game has been running for years and years and years, and maybe it was really successful at one point, and then... The, it's time has come and it is sunset and what happens, right? Uh, you know, if you've invested a lot of, or you've spent a lot of money on in-game items and you've, you've you know, sp spent a lot of time playing the game, it's, it can be, uh, you know, distressing, right? If the game just gets shut down and, and, and you know, that's going to kind of continue to happen uh, more frequently because, you know, we're at sort of like a, a mature stage of the free-to-play mobile market at least and a lot of the games that were like these sort of like early hits are becoming, you know, just they're sort of dwindling and, and, uh, and, and it doesn't make sense to support them. And so my sense is, and, you know, Ethan is hiding because uh, he doesn't want to face the music. Uh, but my sense is it's unfortunate that he's not here because this is actually a, a moment for him to shine because that's the entire argument behind Web3. It's like, well, you've, in, you've, you've, you've uh, expended this time. Why don't you invest it? Right, you've expended this energy and this mental energy, and you've expended some money. Why don't you actually invest it instead? And that's the promise of Web three that you own these things. Now, the the problem with that is like just because you own an NFT or whatever doesn't mean you can continue to use it if the game gets shuttered, right? And like the interoperability promise of Web three, uh, I think has kind of yet to really materialize because there aren't a lot of like games that 
interoperate with assets and that's that's a whole nother discussion but that is the promise of web3 that is that is actually what they uh it it that's the whole idea behind web3 is that you actually own these things they're not you know digital assets that only exist within the context of this game and if the game gets shut down they go away now i kind of just I'll, I'll i'll say that and kind of segue to a uh, related topic but uh, i think we talked about this last time gabe Layden, the founder of mz has uh, started a new Web3 gaming company, raised you know some uh, very large amount of money for it. And he has taken to Twitter, and he's, he's tweeting again. And that's kind of the point that he's been making uh, with, with his advocacy of Web3. It's like, look, you know, the people that are, the people that are spending the money in these mobile free-to-play games, it's 1%, half a percent, a tenth of a percent of people. And they really do want to own this stuff. Like, yeah, you random consumer... Uh, you don't care about owning these items and having like real digital, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, claim to uh, real, a real like sort of legal like uh, ownership claim to these items. But you're not going to spend money in these games anyway, right? You're not even buying gems. Like the people that are spending the money, and especially if you think about this from like kind of his experience of MZ, where the payers spent a lot of money, and they're and you know they were they were measuring UA performance by like you know how many people spent you know four digits in the first day, those people probably do. And like, there is, I think there is definitely an argument to be made that like those people would be better served with like actual ownership of these items. But anyway, I thought the article was interesting. It does, you know, propose some questions that probably need to be answered, especially as we see that kind of initial uh, cohort of like hit free to play games start to be sunset is what happens when they do that. Yeah. I, I would say that like, yeah, out of all the money that people spend on this stuff, like the idea that this thing is going to get shut down. I actually stopped playing some games for that reason, right? That I've been playing a long time. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage that stuff, right? Because you just can't move people over to something else or like, and, and people play forever, right. you know? Anyway, you, dedicated. Well, I would say that it's also not unique to free-to-play games. I mean, uh, you know, this was always concerned with like the big MMORPGs, right? Um, and right. you know, and like right. think about like Asheron's Call, like some of the second tier ones that didn't last that long. I mean, what Star Wars uh, got shut down by Sony, right? At some point, and there was oh yeah, the original yeah, Star there, Wars. There was game, pretty pretty big was, amount of controversy there, though. And you know, right. even stuff like um, EverQuest One ultimately got, I think, shut down. I don't think it's running anymore. I like I, no, I, I I still think that one's running oh, for some it? strange reason. Yeah, but anyway, this it's it's just unlicensed. It's not unique to mobile free to play games. I mean, there this has been a concern for a long time with other types of games too. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else, Laura? You or can move I on. I, I, I only uh, echoes uh, Eric's point. I think this is a. I think it's a great case for NFTs. Um, I'd love to be, I mean, even if they gave us a screenshot of like our characters or something before shutting it down, it'd be better than just having it all vanish. Yeah, I don't know if that'll ever make up for the thousands of dollars you spent on building your virtual no, camp or whatever. Wouldn't. But uh, yeah. All right, uh, this one triggered the shit out of me. And <laughs> I, I think we'll probably end it right at this point. Um, and the Slack channel has been a buzz about this and i think on the surface this doesn't sound like a big deal but actually if you just peel the like a few layers down on what this fucking means it's like it's it's horrific it's really 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 bad governance that that's happening and so what i'm talking about is this new investment by tencent into ubisoft um so the way i understand this and this is definitely an 85 percenter because this is a really hard one to unpack uh because it is relatively complicated for an investment, but 
Tencent is basically investing $300 million in the Guillemont Brothers Limited for a 50% stake in that company, which currently owns about 13% of Ubisoft shares. So what this means is basically they're doing an end around way of increasing their, uh, their, uh, sorry, increasing their ownership of Ubisoft through this vehicle, uh, from five to like close to 10% of the business. Um, they are also providing a secured loan that that will buy, continue to buy more Ubisoft shares in this company. So in this in this limited partnership. Um, now, none of this ownership really provides any rights to operate the business, which is important to understand. Um, and they cannot sell their shares in the next for the next five years or increase their stake by more than 10%. So basically it protects them from getting acquired by Tencent um, in an, you know, like in a, in a hostile type deal. But it also values Ubisoft shares at 80%, I'm sorry, $80, which is like a whopping 85% premium to current stock price. And the stock is down like 20% or 18% since this announcement. So it's even more of a premium than that. Um, so reading from the article, uh, and, and, and if you've ever read an article from these, these French guys in, at uh, Ubisoft, it is like a masterpiece of saying fuck all, right, uh, generally speaking. But the expansion of the concert with Tencent further re- reinforced Ubisoft's core shareholding around its founders and provides the company with the stability essential for its long-term development, said Yves Guillemont. In context where platforms and business models are converging, this transaction, which validates our strategy and highlights the strong intrinsic value of the assets we have built over the long term, is excellent news for our teams, gamers, and shareholders. No, it is fucking not. It is like the worst potential thing for them to do in this particular circumstance, right? All right, sorry, sorry. Stepping back. Here's the good. Let me start with the good. This protects Ubisoft from a hostile takeover, from a third party, generally speaking, right? There's more ownership within the Guillemont family to block any type of hostile deal from a PE fund or whatever that wants to go after Ubisoft. That's part of the reason the stock's down, by the way, is because the reason the stock was being elevated is because people thought this thing was going to get acquired. I happen to be one of those people that thought that, and I was fucking wrong, right? Okay, fine. This also provides them more flexibility in terms of managing the company, trying to get themselves out of this fucking mess, right? Um, and and it basically gives them some kind of covering fire, even though they're a publicly traded company, to execute against this restructuring, buy back shares from this with this loan. Lots of things that they can do to maneuver around this. Um, and the other thing is, if Tencent is ultimately a buyer of this, they are hands off, right? Generally speaking, they're not going to take an active role. Um, and it still gives them a potential for acquisition in the medium to long term. But in the short term, they can try to shore themselves up. And then, of course, most importantly, I think the only reason that this deal was done over anything else is that basically the Guillemont brothers continue to maintain control. Um, and with the power and the financial might of Tencent, right? But the bad is that the Guillemont brothers maintain control. Like, that's the bad news, right? They're continuing likely to make the same bad decisions that got them to the shitty place to begin with, right? So it's it's unbelievable that like, like I, I just don't understand what the shareholders, how the shareholders are actually going to respond to something like this, where they're completely losing control over the company, right? 
I and I think again, it makes them actually even less accountable to shareholders, right? So this is terrible, terrible for the shareholders. And again, that's why the stock is down like 18% today. Um, again, it hinders acquirers that can go in to the company and fix what's broken, right? And try to restructure this organization and make it make it run better. The valuation is fucking ridiculous, right? It's not worth $80 a share, you know, or 80 euro a share, you know, and certainly not now because no one can acquire the company. Um, and again, like Tencent really is limited in what they can do. They can't really acquire this company anytime soon because I think there's lots of restrictions that are going on. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I guess the other positive is that if you are really after uh, maintaining your bloated organization of probably 50, 40 percent people that you don't really need, you know, if you're trying to protect your your uh, the people within the organization, that may actually be true. Right. So they they will remain control and, and limit the amount of layoffs that are required to get this company back on track so they can continue to reinvest and overinvest in, in people. I suppose that's a positive too, which I forgot to mention. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, again, this is absolutely terrible from a shareholder perspective, right? Uh, you know, they do not care about optimizing shareholder value, clearly. I don't even think they care about shareholders at all. Um, Again, you're, you're protecting your employees from a hostel in which they get laid off, I suppose. But that, at this point, that's what they need, right? I don't think this thing is fixable um, without like some kind of major restructuring. Um, and again, it looks like I was totally wrong about this. I was reading the tea leaves and expecting them to get sold. And and maybe this, maybe the uh, the original idea was that they were going to get sold. But this is an, another option that came up. Um, I thought the Gilliman family was just going to fucking give up, move on. Right. You know, like, you know, I, but for me, like rather than protecting the, I think for the long-term health of the company and the long-term health of the employees, let's hope that they can like, they should get acquired. They should go through these massive restructurings, right? Like optimize against the employees going forward, you know, optimize against these amazing franchises and games that are just completely dying on the vine here. But ultimately, it looks like the Gilliman family wants to go down with the ship, you know, and and I don't know. I don't see how they're actually going to execute against um, recovery on this. Uh, so very, very disappointed. Um, I, I don't think I'll be recommending Ubisoft anytime soon. Um, <laughs> and then on top of it, the really bad news, I heard really bad, bad juju on the Star Wars game for next year, which I was so excited about that uh, the... Uh, the uh, massive guys are making a Star Wars version of Division, and uh, the Grapevine was not too pleased or not too excited about that game. So that, on a personal level, makes me upset. But uh, again, as a shareholder, I don't know what to do with this stock, um, and uh, I don't think anybody's going to comment on this story. But anybody have any comments? <laughs> no, probably not. Um, yes. Uh, anything else going on out there, Eric? Not really. No. All right. Well, I guess we'll leave it at that. Only 35 minutes. Oh, wait. No. Oh, sorry. You it. wanted me to go into my article. Yeah, yeah. Go. Okay. I, I thought you were asking me about uh, Tencent or uh, Ubisoft. No, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, not cl- you're not doing anything with that. No. Well, yeah. They tried. <laughs> they acquired Ketchup. <laughs> they wanted to do... Yeah. Uh, did you talk... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I, I did forget one thing that I actually was 
kind of missing is that the really the is there is really some silver lining in a sense that Tencent's taking over mobile development for most of the franchises from Ubisoft, which is really good because they actually can make decent games um, from Ubisoft's IP on mobile. So that that's good. That's a good thing. There you go. Sorry. One more positive to to, to, to finish it off. Um, okay, so we sort of talked about the Financial Times article earlier in the episode. So I just published a piece today called How Can Apple Build a $30 Billion Advertising Business? And so in the Financial Times piece, they reference the projections from Evercore that gets to $30 billion by 2026, $5 billion this year, and, you know, it kind of grows exponentially. And, you know, the kind of premise of my piece was, okay, so let's say they do that, right? Let's say December 31st, 2026, Apple has done $30 billion in advertising revenue that year. What did they do, right? Just assuming that that, that, that is possible, assuming that that's what happens, what, what changes between now and, and then, right, to, to, to unlock that, uh, to, to facilitate that, right? And so my point that I make in the piece is that the mobile app install market's not big enough to support them having that. They would need to, to support their business growing to that size by then, right? I mean, even if you consider you know, these practices that, that potentially give them an edge, right? And so what I did was I just sort of collected a lot of different data points from a lot of different reports. And again, you know, these, these, I take these kind of with the, I take all of them individually with a big grain of salt. And then when you combine them together, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's probably not very reliable, but what I came up to, what I, what I came up with for as a projection out to 2026 for the mobile advertising market and then the subset of app install advertising uh, was that by 2026, you get to 500, like basically half a trillion dollars in mobile advertising spend and that's everything. And then the subset of that, that is just pure app install ad spend is about 142 billion. And of that, 98 is iOS and 44 is Android, right? So you've got, and that split is, and that was me basically taking like the kind of current split and then applying that uh, in 2026. And then I was just looking at a bunch of different ratios that were published by data.ai and AppsFlyer and Sensor Tower, right? So I kind of took all these data points, put, put them into a model, right? Probably not a very robust model. You know, I wouldn't bet my life on this model being accurate or even, you know, within 10% or something. But I think directionally it's probably okay. And so what does that mean? Well, that means if Apple needs to get to 30%, or sorry, 30 billion by 2026, and the entirety of iOS app install market is 98, then they need to capture like 31% of the market. And I don't think that doesn't seem realistic, right? Again, we, we talked about the zero sum or just sort of like uh, growing market idea. And I think they don't get to 30 billion with just app install ads unless there is some like appreciable acceleration to the market growth that they unlock through some like really innovative new products. I don't think that they can do that by 2026, right? If ever. Um, just because they don't, ha- they're not an advertising company. They they don't have that sort of DNA, and so then I make the point like, well, okay, what else could they do if they expand outside of app installs? What else could they do to then you know make progress towards that thirty billion? And and that you know the obvious uh, thing is, well, no, they they stay with app installs, but they build an ad network, right? So it's not just selling ads in their own properties, but they actually become like an audience network type thing where there's the Apple ad network that I can use as a publisher to monetize my games or my apps. Right. And that, that expands the total, like, so that's still taking a bigger chunk of that 
that market, but that prop that maybe could get them there. But but I, I think even then you start to think about like, well, where's that thirty billion going to come from? Because I then referenced uh, a chart from a recent report by AppSumer that says that Apple search ads is about fifteen percent of the market already, and, and we talked about that. Uh, you talked about that at the top, Eric. Facebook, according to AppSumer, and again, you know, this has got a skew to it that is very dependent on AppSumer's base of clients, but let's say that this is correct because this doesn't seem like way off to me. Google's 34, Facebook's 28, Apple Search Ads 15, TikTok 3, Snap 2, Other is 18%. And my sense is a lot of their, the market share that they'd have to take would, ha- would come from that other bucket. And that's things like IronSource, AppLovin, Unity, Vungle, MoLoco, all the DSPs, all that. And how much can they, could, I mean, they could take a lot. But could they take the whole thing? Because they basically have to take that entire other line item. No, but no. Hold on, hold on. They would only have to take what fifteen percent additional to get to thirty percent share. Yeah, and the other is eighteen. No, but but Facebook. Well, yeah, okay. Google. Yeah, sure. And that, and that's kind of the point I make in the article. It's like, well, they they probably take a little bit from across that map, but I think the bulk of it would come from that other. And it's like, how much could they take from the other? Could they take eighty percent of it? I mean, that, they would just obliterate every company in that bucket, could they? Because the point I make is, <laughs> well, but ATT already happened, right? And so the ad network, it, it, yes, it would compete in, in a sense. It would compete with, AT, with, with Facebook and Google because all budget competes with, across all channels. But the reality is that network is most clo- it most closely resembles the Apple Ovens, the Unities, the Bungles. Right. Uh, and so Facebook, ATT has already happened. Facebook probably lost a lot of what's going to lose. Could an ad network take even more from Facebook, which is selling a totally different kind of inventory? It's the owned inventory. Do you see what I'm saying? So Facebook is talking about in fee right, that right. they are. And then the, ad, the app lovens, the unities, the iron sources, the vungles, they're the ones that are kind of middlemen. Right. And, and Apple's, Apple's business would more closely resemble the middleman business when it's an ad network. Right. So that's that point. But, but I think like, okay, well, even if they totally annihilated that, that, uh, that line item, right? And they took it all. Okay, that, that just, just barely gets them there, right? And so my point was, I think the best like configuration of that business, if you say, yes, it is doing 30 billion 2026, what it probably looks like is, yeah, they do the ad network. They take, they take a little bit of market share from each one of those line items, but they also build out non-app install business on these properties. And I'm talking like podcast ads, I'm talking ads in maps for like retail businesses. I'm talking potentially retail, uh, like e-com, like digital, uh, you know, e-com uh, ad, like an ad product. And that, then it's very easy to envision them getting to 30 billion, right? right? I think like it's hard, it's, I think it's, it's harder to make the case that yes, they stick with app installs and they get there versus saying, no, they expand to kind of every type of digital advertising. Then I think, yeah, it's, it's much easier to envision them getting there with, with this sort of broad-based product. And that's kind of the point that I make in the article. Now, the question is, where would they get the data to do the targeting for that? Because the reason they have a great <laughs> app install ad product is because they have all your iTunes data. They have all your app install data, all your IP data. But they run Apple Pay, right? They have the best probably data set for payments out of anybody, maybe except for PayPal. And the thing is, they say right now, they say very explicitly, we don't use Apple Pay data. But, I mean, they've... They've changed their mind before, right? And so if they did open up that PayPal data set to say, okay, well, we know you, or sorry, no, the pay, Apple Pay, we know you just bought some candles online or we know you just bought whatever with Apple Pay. Um, and so we're going to serve you some ads for that kind of stuff. That, that would make it very easy for them to move into, into sort of e-com uh, online retail advertising. And, that, and that's really where I think 
they would unlock a tremendous amount of, of value for that ad product. As long as, long as it's anonymized, okay, so, they can do it, right? It wouldn't, there's no privacy issues, yeah. correct? Well, no, it's not anonymized. It, so Apple does approach it in a way that's probably more privacy safe, and I don't want to get into details. But basically, they put people into groups. The groups have to have a certain number of people. So there's like targeting groups, right? And so you get put into a group, like, I don't know, whatever. Well, I guess, so that would be my, sorry, now I'm going to argue with, you know, on, the, on the defense of Apple. Perhaps maybe Apple will do it in a more benevolent way towards the consumer in, in theory, right? That they will have policies and procedures that, aren't as like despicable as some of the other advertising stuff that goes on. And maybe they, they can effectively build out, you know, an ad network targeting, you know, based upon the data that they do collect without like chipping up all these like privacy issues. Is that, I mean, is that possible in your view or do you think this is just going to end really poorly for them and, and there's going to be litigation and anti-competitive yeah. and people are going to come no, out? No, no one's going to come no, no. Okay, I, Well, hold on. Let me stop for a second. There's two questions here. Do you think this is possible, right? I know the article says what it says. Do you think it's actually possible for Apple to do this? And two, do you think they'll get away with it? I, I think it's it's not clear. I, so I don't know that they would unlock the Apple Pay data for ads targeting. I think if they did, it would it, it could potentially be problematic. But 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 I do think that they could expand outside of app install ads, and I think that's probably how they get to the thirty billion. I don't think it's all through app install ads. I don't think it's like Apple search ads. There's a network too. It's all Apple. It's all app install ads, and that's thirty billion. I don't think so. They're going to have to go to web based, uh, some kind of like web based uh, or or just general brand stuff. Because the thing is, you can imagine them doing what Netflix just did, having an ad supported tier in Apple TV Plus. Uh, you could see them doing all like an audio ads product in podcasts, which is. Uh, you know, that's going to be mostly brand. I mean, there's ways for them to expand this outside of app installs that doesn't go straight to e-com and retail, but that's where the real money is, right? And so, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. But the, the other question is, do, it doesn't even seem like they have enough people to go after all these opportunities. If they really only have 250 people and they're doing it to 500, that still doesn't seem like a lot. Well, have you been following the layoffs? Right. There's like a bunch of people they can pick from now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's true. Well, but that's, but yeah. it is, no, because that's, it, that's, that's a, a striking difference between... What's happened? Like uh, Apple is—it's a bonanza at Apple. This is, uh, you know, feast times. They're hiring 250 people, and Snap just laid off 20 percent of its workforce. <laughs> Facebook right, said right. we're not hiring anymore. Google said we're not hiring anymore. And Apple's like, you know, we can't collect CVs fast enough, right? So it's just a best of times, worst of times kind of thing. So yeah. So in in, a, in essence, this is totally on brand, right? Optimizing shareholder value at Apple to the detriment of everyone else in the ecosystem. So I guess I guess this makes sense. Yeah, but what, just um, I would just make one more point here is that the optics of the Apple Pay stuff might be bad, but it is totally compliant with ATT because that's all first party data right. to them. That's the whole point. It's hey, this Apple Pay data, right. it's ours. We process those purchases. And so we get to claim that data and use it however we want. Right now they say they don't use it, but they might change that. And that's the, that's the entire uh, crux of ATT is to say you showed an ad that someone clicked and they went somewhere else. And so you're not entitled to any more information about what they do after that ad click. But we are because after they clicked the ad, they made the purchase. If they used Apple Pay, even though it was for a third-party website that we have no affiliation with, we get to own that data and know that about them, and that's first party to us. And that's, that's, that's their argument, and that's the way they've designed this, right? And so if they did, it would be totally compliant with ATT. And not just that. I mean, imagine all the data Apple must have about you if you use an iPhone, especially if you use an iPhone. Even, even if you – like your whole digital life is known by them. 
Diabolical. You know what I wish? Diabolical. I, know, I wish I owned my own data and I could sell it to Apple for a profit and say, you know what, all these purchases are actually <laughs> mine. And I'll sell them to you so you can ad target me for $500,000. All of it. Yeah. That'd be great. Interesting. Or it was an, it was an NFT yeah. that you <laughs> owned forever. <laughs> That's right. The NFT of your user information, right? Right. Yes. And every time someone uses it, yeah. you get a just cut. To, just so, to just, maybe that's maybe that's the future maybe. of blockchain. And then just to stick it to them, I'd actually no, forget the upfront fee. I'd charge them a subscription. Then, perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to. They have to buy some customized hardware that there's a subscription for. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, if, if we're done, I've got one fun one for you, Eric. And this is this is for you. I thought of you when I read this. All right, do it. Uh, hold on. Let me let me see if I no, I can't find it. Uh, Okay, so this great article that I stumbled upon uh, called The Story BCG Offered Me $16,000 Not to Tell. And it's about, it's just uh, some guy uh, joined BCG right out of college and, and I guess he had a bad experience. But uh, so, you know, Eric, I thought of you when I was reading this. So there, he's, there's this great quote in, in the article and uh, – it's, he's in, and this, this guy had gotten kind of disillusioned with the job and he was kind of frustrated and his manager came and sat him down and he said, uh, to survive, and this I'm quoting, to survive, he told me I needed to remember the ratio. 50% of the job is nodding your head at whatever is being said. 20% is honest work and intelligent thinking. The remaining 30% is having the courage to speak up, but the wisdom to shut up when you're saying something that your manager does not want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. That sounds that sounds about right, dude. That sounds about right. Yeah, all right. That's really hilarious. And it was I got you got. I'll send you the link. But I, the the title is uh, the story. BCG offered me sixteen thousand dollars not to tell, and it's it's kind of old, but I think it's it probably uh, it stands the test of time here. Yes. Um, yeah. No need to start going on the bandwagon of, of, of going after consulting companies, but uh, that all makes sense. Just nod and, and be impressed by anything <laughs> that's said from executives. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, uh, we have t- Twig 200 and we have nothing planned special for it. Um, oh, man. So, you know what would be really cool is to bring the, bring the band back, right? Like everyone that's joined on the podcast, bring back Joseph Kim. And the rest, I, I thought about that today, but whether or not we can execute against that is, is questionable. At but best. you're, but uh, you're the last man standing, right, of the OG crew, right, Eric? Well, actually, I wasn't the OG. The OG was really um, uh, um, uh, uh, Joseph and Mishka. Uh, I came in like I think after like number eleven or twelve. I have to actually check into that. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I. But for the all intents and purposes, I am. Wow. Um, but anyway, we got to get Joseph back on because he really did start this thing. He was the, he was the brainchild behind it. So uh, I'll have to I'll have to give him a shout. Yeah, um, and see what he's up to. But okay, guys, until next week, um, hold down the fort. I'm sure Mishka is uh, enjoying working at Sony of all places, uh, counting his gajillions that he made on the sale, and then Adam is out creating the best, the next great thing for Bungie. Right? So exciting. Yeah, play it. All right. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, 
go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.